This is the 85th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Berthards. With me, as always, are my dear co-hosts Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. In this episode, we also have a guest with us, Oliver Jensen, whom we will introduce shortly. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Hello, everybody. I hope everyone's doing well, and welcome, Oliver. Thank you, and hello. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found whenever we release on the Top Deck app, and wow, that has been a bit less in recent weeks. We had a couple of snags with ill children, Easter, workload, more ill children, and ill podcast hosts. You might perhaps still hear faint trace of my recent head cold coming through this throat. Also, Robin, you celebrated his 40th birthday. Lots of things, but now we are back and it is so great to be here. Welcome again, everyone. Extra welcome to all of you who have joined our Discord recently. Very nice to connect with you and super extra welcome, Oliver. In this episode, we will talk a little bit about recent paper play, but mostly we're going to talk to our local statistics hero, which is then Oliver Jensen, who compiles deck data for our weekly legacy events at Alpha Spale here in Stockholm. First though, Oliver, please introduce yourself. How long have you played legacy and what decks do you play? Well, thank you for the most wonderful title. I um, completed building AMT in March of 2015, I believe. So I assume that's when I started playing Legacy. I had a back and forth relationship with that deck for a couple of years and then settled for TES, which I've been playing ever since. For the eight years that have been my Legacy career, six of them has been with the deck TES. The fun anecdote about that is that a quarter of a year after starting playing the deck, I actually helped Brian Cook with building his spreadsheet. Oh, into data then already. Yes, but the uh, the annoying part back then was that I wasn't wasn't as well versed in using the formulas. So I I brute forced a lookup function using only count, sum, and if functions. If it works, it works, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's super fun to have you on. For me, you're one of those really like scary storm pilots to play against whenever we play we've been playing at the same local med- like uh, local game stores for quite a while now and it's always fun to see someone stick so hard to their to their lovelies to their favorite deck yeah i will never f- forget the first time i i saw you pick up a tarmogoyf that was on the stack and you you read a cr- cr- creature and then you just and then you just storm killed the opponent loved it yeah that was wonderful <laughs> But I, th- I think we're like, I- I'm like one to eight in games between the two of us, Christopher. Yeah, that might be, <laughs> Everybody that might is be the case. <laughs> yeah, I- I'm a bit lucky. A lot of my decks aren't great against Storm, but sometimes you got to look out. So having played specifically Storm for so long, what is your brand of Storm? Is it an all-foiled-out Korean deck? Is it a white border Storm? Is it, uh, what, what's your flavor? Pretty soon after, finally, after finalizing my initial build of the deck, I realized that it made me think of cosplaying as a Germanic black sorcerer of some sort, or dark sorcerer, <laughs> or sorcerer of the black arts. Sure. The key part here being the Germanic part. So I've started Germanizing my entire deck. So far, I think it's only... <laughs> there, there are some of the duels left to get in German, but otherwise I think my deck is entirely in German. Germanize. <laughs> yes. And so, so the prioritization goes German at the highest... At the, the top priority and second priority is foil but always german first so i can't get any of the uh, 
wonderful ABU rituals for my deck. No oh, right. And uh, since it's no basics in TES anymore, we can't ask you for your uh, <laughs> choice of basic island or basic swamp. Something. No, I, I actually have my choices for basic islands and swamps for both TES and A&T from back in the day when they used to play them. I I don't have them mm. on hand right now, but I'm I'll gladly send you them later. We'll we'll put it in the Discord for sure. All right, well, much welcome, Oliver. Super nice. So we have been absent for a couple of weeks, but it also has, as we said, been interruptions of birthdays and people who have been ill and Easter and everything. What paper play do we have to report? For me personally, no paper play to report because I have been the main source of all this illness and Easter logistics. But uh, Robin, I think you have jammed some games. Yeah, so I was away during the Easter holiday, but I uh, came back to Stockholm on Thursday. And after like a six hour drive, what else do you want to do than spend another four hours <laughs> playing uh, Magic in the evening? So that's what I did. These days I don't even need to introduce the deck. I was on Naya Depths. I managed to go 3-1, losing out the final match to Christopher. Uh, he will get the opportunity to talk about that game. <laughs> but uh, I managed to beat two opponents playing uh, Death's Shadow. In both of those matches I, I lost the first game and then succeeded to win the second and third. Then there was games uh, versus D&T. Yorian D&T. They were pretty... Fast, fast merit leech protected was the uh, recipe there, and then uh, it was the pod sort of derby finals. <laughs> the co-host mirror, yes, which I couldn't, I couldn't win. But what's a great evening? Yeah, I, I played as well. I I brought the, the personal tutor Doomsday. I played the Savatarix, like the Kai Savatari build, which is. The fastest way to build a deck with four street raves and two edge of autumns. It's it's pretty much just make a pile as fast as you can and just draw into it and win. And you know, coming from playing a lot of control or mid-range decks, it's an advantage. Uh, like my first opponent was on rug lands and uh, they assumed that I was on some grindy deck and mold to six. So when I went turn one island personal tutor for doomsday, they got pretty scared and died two two turns later. Yeah, game game two is, you know, it's it's a pretty hard matchup for lands, especially now when I'm playing the opposition agent the in the sideboard so i got to snag a fetch from my opponent and they forgot about the opposition agent two turns later when they crop rotated and i was like thank you and grabbed a wasteland (laughs) and then i just beat them down with shieldred and two agents so that's pretty brutal it's 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 pretty brutal but then i i played against a very scary deck the uh, red white initiative winoda deck and game one, I just make a pile turn one and kill them turn two. You know, hard hard life, hard magic, all that. But in game two, my opponent plays a turn one rabble master and attacks me for one. So I just, I fetch and make a doomsday pile. Then I realize what a crucial mistake I've made. So I take one from the goblin, one from the fetch and nine from my doomsday. My opponent has a rabble master and attacks me for six on the next turn. So I'm down to free life. Kids... Don't build a deep analysis flashback pile when your opponent has six points of damage in play. But, (laughs) you know, you have to learn sometimes. Then in game three, I actually mulled to five. 
my opponent seems pretty happy about that. And I go double dark ritual shield red. Opponent less happy about that. <laughs> yeah, and it it kills them. Like they went turn one ancient tomb chalice and I'm like, thank you for helping. <laughs> <laughs> I think turn two magus and I just kept on swinging. And then when they got a rabble master into play, I realized that I should stop attacking because they're dead in two turns and their own Magus is preventing them from casting Wynoda. So I'm just going to sit here for two turns and kill them, which children did. So that was great. Then I played against Grixis Control and the TLDR here is game one. I make a super fast pile, very hard to interact with. You know, Cavern, Cavern of Souls makes uh, a quick pile very hard to deal with for a control player, especially if they're not playing main deck dress down. And game two, my opponent, you know, gets to do it all. Fatal push my opposition agent, Shieldred's edict my Shieldred, which is flavor win. Whoa. Uh, You know, I don't love it, but uh, you know, it happens. So eventually I just die. I think I hard cast a grief, which gets forced. Hard cast forced. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's it's pretty bad at that moment. For game three, I multi six and go for a turn one dark ritual doomsday. I have two fetches in hand, so I want to max out my fetches. But I also have like a uh, flusterstorm and a force of will. So the pile that I build is actually pretty nice. It's brainstorm, fastest oracle, cavern of souls, fastest oracle, underground sea. So yeah, my opponent fought sees my force of will. I get my turn. I brainstorm. I put two Fasas Oracle back in the deck, so I have a cavern in hand, and then I play my fetch out and pass. I do my fetchy business at the end of their turn, so now my deck is only two Fasas Oracle, and I have a cavern of souls in my hand. So that's that's that. Playing around removal or dress down, uh, you know, they they'd need two in a row, and one of them needing to be dressed down, so that was nice. But then we finally get to Nia Depths and Robin. You know, it's always scary to play a co-host. And uh, Robin wins the die roll and go Mox Reclaimer stage. I just play a fetch and pass. Robin untaps, play Depths and Safekeeper. I think you may be attacked for one with the Reclaimer, but this doesn't matter really in this game. So I take my turn and I play another fetch and Cabal Ritual into Doomsday. Robin at this point has only one card in hand. You know, I don't have to be as like afraid of endurance or stuff like that. So I build a pile of lead, cycler, 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 foracle, and it kills him. In game two, it's a bit slow and grindy. We go a bit land go. And I only, I kept a one lander, but I still fetch main phase turn two and don't play anything. I was considering pondering, but I, I had a dark ritual opposition agent, which, which is really good against Naya. So I sat on that. And just passed the turn. And Robin looked a bit skeptical. Took his turn, <laughs> drew a card and fetched. And that's when my plan came into fruition. So I start the opposition agent beatdown. Eventually, you know, Robin gets a knight of the reliquary forced. He resolves an endurance, which I get to play another opposition agent. And then play a lotus petal to fatal push. Then I start getting beats in until Robin finds uh, another endurance, which... You know, it's it's good stabilizing move. So I just play a really slow doomsday pass. Robin just draws a card. And I think you played the silencing card. What's the deafening silence? Yeah, this is where my pile reveals its true purpose. So I untap, I float a black and I cycle 
an edge of autumn to draw into fatal push <laughs> so my pile was removal spells <laughs> to get my opposition agents through and i get to fatal push endurance and uh, get to win the the match so 4-0 yeah and that was so sick because i kept the hand that had triple endurance and the knight <laughs> and, and like lands to play them and just got totally sidestepped with your plan and just not having faced off against opposition agents enough obviously playing into that that little trap that was so obvious yeah i might have, I I might have telegraphed it. it a bit when i fetched and didn't do anything <laughs> well i mean that as we have said on this here podcast opposition agent clearly underplayed card yeah. and you suffer for it and oliver you played as well did you bring your beautiful tes deck why of course i don't really know how to play anything else for the first round, I get to play against a five-color control list. In game one, I played, was it 14 goblins on turn two, and managed to close out the game quite quickly. For game two, I uh, played at turn three, Abe for five. So Abe, the uh, progenitor ooze. Yeah, mm, 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 mm. Best fucking ooze there ever was. Yes, but my my opponent then exclaimed that... Uh, that's not goblins. And during during their next turn, they proceeded to play an Isid Static Caster. <laughs> this, uh, yes. The Abe ran over the Static Caster quite quickly. <laughs> For round two, I got to play against Rag Stifelnaught. So that's a quite harsh matchup, matchup for me, relying on my Storm Triggers and them having main world Stifles. For my game one, my opponent stifled my first relay. I managed to try to claw my way back by deploying an orange shard on them and then following up with an echo of aeons but that didn't really lead anywhere so i got quickly beat down in game one game two i got to use abrupt decay to remove their dreadnoughts and uh, took my time to cut in my hand until i could take the win in game three we both kind of um, up in arms about what to do neither of us really did anything relevant to the other one until i took my shots and managed to get there since my opponent apparently hadn't drawn any direction. Are you on the on the four decay list in the sideboard? Oh, fun, funny you should ask. I uh, I'm actually not. I uh, removed one of the decays from the current uh, meta list. Piloted or like I've removed the I've removed some cards from the current iteration of TES. So I'm down one about decay. I'm also down one Taiga. Instead, I play a plateau. And I play a prismatic ending. I also play two orange shards in the main board instead in place of two of the Halo Summers. So I'm on the five color list instead of the four color list that's currently being premiered. For round three, I got the opportunity to face elves with the exclamation point and everything. My opponent had 14 creatures on turn two in the game one, but did manage to get Hoof into play. And I could use my orange shards to fade consecutive two rounds of uh, attack steps using the kicker on orange shot so that was that was a new way for me to go about playing the game yes kicking so nice. orange shot in the rough pit shot walking and preventing them from attacking in game one i um, i couldn't really keep up with the 14 creatures and eventually when my chance ran out i simply fell over and i came to i had a turn two at nauseam which i pivoted into winning quite quite quickly for game three I got to discard it in turn one, but managed to pivot a, a brainstorm that was left into an Emptor Wars for 14 goblins, 
which gave us a classic game of elves versus goblins. <laughs> nice. Oh, <man>. Yes. <laughs> like Richard Garfield intended. Exactly. But uh, I, uh, I managed to fade my opponent drawing natural order and got the win. For the last round, I played against Death Shadow. It's usually quite grindy matchup and doesn't really have that much room for error. And I managed to break every mar- margin of error that was available. So I, I don't really want to talk about it. I was crushed. Oh, man. I need to play more against that matchup. <laughs> yeah. For every combo deck, that matchup is really scary. Or for every spell-based yeah. combo deck, that matchup is so scary. Yeah, but it was quite sweet as well, seeing my opponent's reaction from, from the game, since apparently that was his first 4-0 at our game store. Yeah, even even the first right. time that person went over 3-on-1. I, I talked to him a bit after, so it was the first time he won store credit back. Yeah. So that was super fun. And he was so, he was so happy. That was just wonderful. Well, I know how the, how the combo matchup feels on that side. My heart goes <laughs> out to you. Thank you. All right, Oliver, let's get to the data. Tell us about this project. How long have you been doing it? And what can we say about Stockholm as a magic city? Yes, this uh, project started almost exactly six months ago. Our first registered date, which I um, collected data on, was the 20th of October in 2022. It's, it entirely stemmed from me wanting to build a better sideboard against our metagame. But since I was crowdsourcing all the data, I thought it was um, it felt ethically correct as well as more sustainable to share the results of the data and not simply keep it to myself. Such a hero. Not only a maths guy, also an <laughs> ethics guy. Gotta hand it to him. I mean, we have on, on this podcast, we have previously dubbed Stockholm as a mid-range hell. Would you say that data supports that? Let's see, what does the data say? We're going to get debunked. No, but it's, uh, I, I would, I would warrant that Midrange Hell could be a valid, valid nickname for the entirety of Stockholm Legacy. The data collection so far has consisted of me just gathering which decks are played and then try to categorize these decks into different types of macro and micro archetypes. Among these, Midrange is not really featured other than with control as a micro-archetype. It did, in 2022, start off at a 25% meta share, but has since come down to around a 20% meta share. But that's still quite a quite a big part of the entire meta, I'd say. Just being able to expect that one in every five decks played is a mid-range or control deck, usually blue-based. And these are also placed against the other micro-archetypes called aggro, graveyard-based, land-based, non-blue, permanent combo, spell combo, stompy, tempo, vial, and other. All right. So with all those different categories, 20% is, is pretty much for one category, I guess. Yes. It's quite a wide part of the, of the field taken up by the mid-range slash control parts. During winter, there were quite a few people actually playing the deck. I guess that's coming due to initiative, taking taking over instead, and people migrating away from the uh, classic 
blue-white control decks, but now it's starting to come back in full swing. So for the past for the past month, we've had an average of barely 20% showing of the control decks. Yeah, it seems that the average is about 20% over this time as well, or, or since we started tracking. Would you say that there has been uh, re like uh, noticeable changes in like the meta share of different decks since after the bannings, since uh, expressive iteration and white plume adventure were banned? Uh, have you noticed anything uh, from just our local meta? Because like sure, if you look at all results everywhere, there are more noticeable results but could, would you say that there are noticeable effects on the meta that we are playing in sorry do you remember which date the banning took place was it the 7th of march it, it was a bit more than a month ago so that sounds sounds about right like we've had our fair share of initiative stompy players and our share of Denver players but the biggest impact the banning had was that it stopped the further development of mid-range control decks from playing expressive iteration rather than stopping Uerdelber from taking over the meta. Since we've never we've not really had that many Uerdelber players. But it we have Robin and the Hope and one or two others that sometimes come in and playing who, who are sometimes playing that deck. Yeah, that's that's true. Like one of the things that I've noticed as a, a change in our local meta is uh, how much more popular Death's Shadow has become since the bannings. But that's also due to, I think, new players, players that come from other formats, pick that up as one of their first decks to play. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, if it's just random, but I think that's a very cool thing to see because now I'm like more terrified <laughs> playing at our local meta because I think Death Shadow is such a such a scary scarier deck to play against than Delver, but that mostly stems from what I usually play. But do you have like a because Death Shadow I, I could imagine was not really present in the meta share uh, prior to the bannings. Like maybe one copy, like one one entry here and there, but I think at our last events there's been like two or three of them. Now that you mentioned, yeah, we have we've had quite an influx of Death Shadow players, and it's like it's well positioned and it's a relatively cheap deck, especially in blue, since you don't really was it you re, you need one underground C just to have in case, but then you really need your watcher grades. You need one underground C and a place at the first of wheels, and then you're pretty much set with ex- expensive cards. Yeah, it's a great gateway drug into legacy you get your forces and your first duel and then you're just good to go the, the influx of that shadow also i would assume comes from the deck rising in popularity also because it adopted the grief reanimate tech I, I don't know if it happened sort of it was tried and tested because of the bannings uh, or if it's just concurrently been sort of developed during the winter but i think since the, since the adoption of that strategy the deck just has become so much more powerful that it's not only that you sort of are a new player and you want to have a quotation marks entry level only one underground c deck but also the fact that the deck is just really good yeah i think it actually uh, started like its popularity during the initiative era not in our local game store but online because you could just discard your opponent's uh, initiative guy and reanimate it that was a valid plan yeah i've always been a quite fan of the reanimate uh, tech from 
from Death Shadow. And I remember the first time I saw it, I think it was during a pro tour where Legacy was featured. The Death Shadows players had it in so that they could cycle Street Wraith and reanimate Street Wraith. And I was like, that is so nasty. Look how quick they're losing their own life. And, you know, now their Death Shadows is online. And now, like, a couple of years later, people are fully into actual (laughs) powerful reanimation targets like Grief, griefing your opponent and uh, reanimating that or just you know the the power level of the creatures has grown significantly as well so uh, seeing your opponent uh, discarding your atraxa and reanimating that it's pretty terrible <laughs> feeling speaking of abusing grief and the end to the battlefield effect what do you think about the scam deck we currently only have one of those running around in our local metagame but having the port from modern to legacy could also be part of the how people go about getting into Death Shadow rather than another deck, just from being from being familiar with the play pattern. Yeah, I think that's a very valid point. I think it's also true for the uh, Cascade decks, the Rhinos deck, which is uh, also, according to, like in my opinion, a very strong, fast aggro deck. It's also like stems from modern primarily. Like sure, there 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 has been a legacy deck, but in modern, it's a much bigger thing. And I think it's cool to see those decks uh, making it into legacy with just new better versions of specific cards so yeah i I definitely think the scam deck is pretty good as well like sure you don't have swords to plowshares to run into in modern but your creatures are gonna get swords to plowshared in legacy no matter what so you might as well put them on a really quick clock early so i think that's a very cool observation and i i do believe that the scam decks are really cool uh, i want to see more of that mm, i haven't faced off against it it would be fun to see how it how it fares in legacy is there a way to say which deck is the most popular one in your data collecting if you can be that simple when it comes to data such as this yes we do have an all-time sheet and uh, it features initiative stumpy as being the most popular deck strategy <laughs> with a count of six percent of the entire meta and keeping a win percentage of about 60%. Wow. Second, second place is Blue Red Delver at almost 6% of our meta with a match win percentage of around 45%. Ooh, what's going on? <laughs> what deck has the, the highest uh, win percent in our meta? I think it's something that someone has only played once or twice. Yes, Swift, Swift Reconfiguration Combo. Oh. <laughs> it's been played once. We have an 83.3 or thereabouts win percentage. It's hard to beat. Forever the champion. If we only count decks with an above 1% representation, let's see where do we have something reasonable. We do have Painter at 61.5% in uh, match wins, representing 3.8% of our meta. We do have, ooh, second place, Nyadets, 62.3% of wins representing 3.5% of the meta. And first place goes to Yeska Control, standing at 63.5% match win percentage, thereabouts, and representing 2.2.1% of the meta. It's like the Days Undoing deck, a part of that sub-archetype. I believe it's uh, both like Day Breacher variants, as well as Mentor variants, falling into this spectrum. Also, thing I forgot about mentioning earlier was that among our uh, micro archetypes, 
the only archetype that has consistent showing across all our logged entries is a permanent-based combo decks. So I assume Painter is super popular. Yes, or Aluren. <laughs> oh, well. Yes, Painter or Aluren. And there we go. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan of A plus B combo that doesn't need A or B to win. <laughs> I'm a big fan of those. But yeah. So with all this, have you managed to improve your sideboarding? Which was your initial plan? God, no. <laughs> what a, God, no. Oh, what a horrible question. D- during, the, during autumn, I had so many times where I just wanted to come into alpha spell to collect data <laughs> on the meta and then go home. <laughs> like, yes, I only want to collect data now. It's so much fun. <laughs> the hero we need. My, my focus has gradually fallen off improving my sideboard and my play patterns. But like that's that's one of the beautiful things about Legacy after all. Like sure you could tweak your sideboard as much as you want, but just putting those really spicy I love this card type of cards in your sideboard is really what makes everything like the format go around in the end as well whenever i see someone just whip out their whole sideboard after a game and i see you know yeah here's five mana garuk or or something like that nothing sparks more joy than that so maybe the data data collection started as you know a way to improve yourself but now you're just improving the life quality and you know the the fun of the game for the whole scene which i think is absolutely fantastic i thank you for those kind words but uh, no it's it's entirely about getting a better sideboard (laughs) i simply came to the realization that my sideboard is already tuned to the meta so i don't really have anything to change (laughs) (laughs) well Sometimes you gotta collect the data to know to cut that fourth decay, <laughs> right? And that is all we have for this episode. Do you have data about your meta? Let us know in our Discord. There is a link in this episode description. In addition to Discord, you can hit us up on Twitter. We are at STHLM Legacy. Also, personally present on social media. Robin, where can our listeners get sideboard recommendations from you? I am underscore, I Jack underscore Boo uh, on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> I'm underscore. No, I'm just kidding. I'm uh, at MonolithMTG on Twitter. Uh, you can uh, watch me shitpost on how to not build doomsday piles. Uh, Oliver, do you have a uh, any socials do you want to share? I've got my username on my um, on my various platforms, so I'm sorry. No, <laughs> we can add it in Discord as well. I am Disco Drogo uh, on Twitter. Before we conclude, I would like to recommend any paper players who are roaming about Sweden that this Sunday, the 23rd, there is a legacy tournament in Eskilstuna at uh, Spelfaktoriet that you should check out if you are in the vicinity. And the weekend after 30th April, uh, also the Sunday, Valpurgis Night in Sweden. There is a legacy tournament at Alpha Spill in Stockholm, which is also a qualifier for the European Legacy Masters. So if you have considered going to one of the Alpha Spill weekend tournaments but haven't yet, this is a better opportunity than before. And that 
is the end of the 85th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robinson Sien. Thanks, Christopher Wikström. Extra warm thanks to you, Oliver Jensen, for guesting us with your data collection. I am Victor Bernhardt, and thanks to you for listening. The Great Frenes has, as always, with their music. You can find more of their work on Spotify. And until our next episode, kids, do math.